Okay, well, turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue in our lesson. I didn't really know what direction we were going to go as a result of this today, but we'll just uh, continue. Hebrews chapter number six, what a, what a challenging, I guess is a good word to say, what a challenging passage of Scripture this is. And I hope this week, as you have studied uh, and prepared, and as you studied yesterday and even this morning in your classes, as you have pondered this thought on faithfulness, and that is our family theme. Our D6 theme this week is faithfulness, and, but I'm going to take it a little bit different direction and, and uh, discuss maybe a little bit more of what's taking place here in Hebrews chapter 6 in verses 1 down through verse number 6. The goal this week as we're studying together, the goal this week is that we would cling to our faith with a renewed commitment. And to hear these teenagers up here, it sounds like they've got a renewed commitment uh, to follow God, to live for Him, and to serve Him. And that should be all of our heart's desire. That should be what we all are. That's the goal this week, that we all cling to renewing our commitment to be faithful to Christ and to following Him, always moving forward and never giving up. And guys, may I remind you that you're always moving in one direction or another. In your spiritual walk with the Lord, there never comes a place where you stand still. You're either growing closer to God or you're growing further away from Him. Um, Paul used the analogy this morning when he and I were talking. It's like being in a canoe, going downstream. You're either paddling upstream or you're just letting the stream carry you, carry you away. And that's how it is in our Christian walk with the God. We're either growing closer to Him through what we're doing in our prayer life, our devotion time, what we're doing spiritually, or we're drifting away. And we hope and pray that our goal this week was that we would have this renewed commitment, that we would recommit our lives to, to Christ, that we would move forward in our spiritual walk, and that we would never give up. Now, in our D6 theme or our fusion facts this week, there are several different facts that, uh, that we're going to discover. Monday, as we study together, we're going to see how we are responsible for our spiritual growth. We as individuals are responsible. And that's one of the things we try to do with D6. And that's one of the philosophies of what we're trying to do here and why we have it incorporated through all of our classes and why we're all staying on the same week and why we're all studying together. It's so that we can take the responsibility of growing spiritually to the home to the house with mom and dad and to the kids and, and we realize that just one hour a week is not enough to grow spiritually. We've got to be in God's Word every single day. And what we try to do here with our curriculum is put it in place so that it gives you an avenue, it gives you a, a resource, it gives you a, an outlet so that you can speak into the, into the lives of your kids and you can speak into each other the, the biblical truth that we're studying collectively together on that week. So we've got to understand, and this is what we're going to study tomorrow, that we are responsible for our spiritual growth. Not the preacher, not the youth leader, not the Sunday school teacher, not the worship leader. You, as an individual, are responsible for your spiritual growth. That's why I've always said, and I still believe it's true, you are just as close to God today as you want to be. Hello? You are just as close to God today as you really have a desire and as you really want to be. So we're going to unpack that a little bit on Monday. Tuesday, we're going to study together and we're going to see that faithfulness means trusting God even when things don't make sense. How many's ever been there in your life? Boy, you've, you've come to a situation and you look around at your circumstances and see where you are in life and boy, sometimes it just doesn't make sense but we're going to trust God anyway and go with Him. And we're going to study that on Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to study how faithfulness is a lifelong process. How all of our life is committed to following Christ and growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge. It's not something we do. You know, a lot of people have the misconception, all I got to do is go down and say a prayer and ask Christ in my heart and everything will be okay. It's more than that. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews gives a danger in that type of thinking and that type of philosophy. Our Christian life and the faith that we're living in, in Christ, is a lifelong process. It's something that we're going to live out on this side of eternity the rest of our days. It's not a prayer we pray one time. It's not a Bible study we go to one time. It's a lifelong process. On Thursday or Friday, we're going to, or Thursday, we're going to study how faithfulness keeps going even when things get tough. And then we're going to discover how you are the very best Christian that someone knows. Do you realize that, guys? 
You are the very best Christian that someone knows. And let that sink in a little bit and realize that you're influencing someone. Sometime back we gave the, the message on leadership and we were talking about how leadership is influence and how every single one of us are leaders. And the question is, are you a good leader or a bad leader? That's, we're all leaders because leadership is influence. We're all influencing someone. And the question is, are we influencing them for good or are we influencing them for, for bad? And so we got to understand that people are watching our lives and you are the very best Christian that somebody sees on a weekly basis. Think about that. Let that settle in a little bit and that may change a little bit of our thought pattern, a little bit of our, uh, the way that we act and the way that we react. But today I'm going to deal with a little bit different subject. Actually, it's the same subject, but it's the end result of not being faithful. We're talking about faithfulness and that being our theme. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and open them up to Hebrews chapter number six. I'm going to deal with a passage of scripture that has had theologians debating for centuries. Matter of fact, um, I'm going to deal with a subject today that a lot of people are uncertain about and unsure about. I'm going to deal with a subject today that some people maybe have a hard time grasping or getting a hold of, and maybe some people believe it wholeheartedly. I do want to say this from the outset. You cannot deny that the subject matter that I'm going to speak about is in the Word of God. It's there. What is it am I talking about? I'm talking about the doctrine, the teachings, the instructions, the doctrine of apostasy. How many has ever heard about the doctrine of apostasy? The doctrine of rebelling, the doctrine of abandoning the faith, the doctrine of turning away, the doctrine of falling away, the doctrine of once you're a believer, you can come to a point where you maybe never are a believer again and miss heaven. That's what I want to discuss. Now, I've got to say from the outset, I do not have 21 pages of notes like I had last week and whittling through the sermon, but I do want you to know this is a vast, vast subject. And there's no way, I am not going to give you uh, everything there is to know or say about the doctrine of apostasy in about a, a 30 minute message right here. There's no way in the world I can cover everything there is to cover about this particular doctrine. So I hope and pray that this will maybe, um, maybe implant in you or, or maybe a, a desire in you to learn more about this particular teaching. But I do want to say this. This doctrine that I'm going to talk about is a distinctive of Victory Church. This is a doctrine that we do believe in. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings about this doctrine. I'm going to try my best to clarify it. I'm going to try my best to give you what Scripture says and not necessarily what a group of men believe. But I want to share with you a little bit about the doctrine of apostasy. And that doctrine presents itself here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 1 down through verse number, number 6. Before I read this scripture, let's pray together. Father, your word teaches in Corinthians that your word is spiritually discerned. Father, right now I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak through me and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me to share what thus saith the Lord. And I pray, God, that you would touch the hearts and the minds and the ears of those that are sitting here today, that they would have understanding, that you would give them discernment about what your word is saying. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate this passage of Scripture. You would shine your light on it. You would reveal truth to us from your word. And God, help me not to say anything contrary to your word. Because God, I know that one day I will stand before you, a just and a holy God, a righteous God, and I will give an account on how I've handled this particular doctrine. God, help me to handle it with care. And help me to handle it in the way that your word reveals it. And help us to receive it in that fashion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. 
you ever have one of those, maybe you don't relate to this, but you ever have those, you don't. I have sometimes those sermons that are just fiery sermons that you just rear back and preach. And then there are other times when you just need to slow down and teach a little bit and break the verses down. That's a little bit what's going to take place today. There's not going to be a whole lot of fiery preaching in this, but there will be some solemn teaching that will help you grow in your faith and help maybe uncloud the water that may be cloudy as a result of thinking on the topic of apostasy. Let's look at the scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity. Now notice that the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, we do know that it was divinely inspired. We do know that it is part of the canon of Scripture. We do know that it's the word that God wants us to have. We do know that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christian brother and sisters. And we do know that the writer of Hebrews is including himself in what he is speaking on. Look what he says. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us. He didn't say you need to. He said, or he didn't say just I need to. He said, let us collectively. Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, and that's baptism, by the way, laying on of the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And we, notice he includes himself again in verse 3, and we will do this if God permits Now, guys, I'll get to this later in my message, but one thing I want you to understand about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is all about you growing in your faith. It's the preacher preaching to us about how we need to go on to maturity, how we need to grow in our faith. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he deals a little bit about the possibility of what could happen if an individual does not continue in their faith if they start regressing or going back or walking away from the Lord. So he's saying we've got to leave the elementary message. We've got to go on from the fundamentals. We've got to grow in our faith. Don't go back there. Now he's saying, he's not saying throw them away. He's just saying you need to progress. You need to get off the milk of the word. You need to get to the solid meat of the word. And that's what he's talking about the latter part of chapter 5. He's saying that we need to grow in our faith. Move on from the elementary teachings. It's not bad, and we're building everything that we believe on these doctrines, but we've got to go on in our faith. That's the encouragement that he's given us here in verses 1 down through verse number 3. And verse number 4 and following is where it may, for some, get a little difficult to understand. And that's what I want to try to unpack for you. In verse number 4, for it is impossible to renew to repentance... And if you mark in your Bibles, you need to put a bracket around impossible to remove or to renew to repentance. You need to underline that because that's what we're going to be talking about. That's the subject matter. That's what we're going to be dealing with. It's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who became companions with the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. Underline the words falling away. Fallen away. Another word that I want you to think about when you hear the term fallen away is abandoned. They have abandoned. They have willfully rejected and abandoned. That's another word you could put in. It means the same as what the original Greek word is talking about there. Fallen away or abandoned. Either one of those words would work well in that particular sentence. Who have fallen away because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. Now whenever we start talking about the doctrine of apostasy, I want you to understand there are many different views out there. 
And I just want you to understand those. And I want you to know a little bit of what those views are. And that's why I'm talking about, this is maybe more of a, if we had Wednesday night church, this is what I'd be doing on Wednesday night. But I only get one shot at you a week. So I got to kind of mix it up, give you some fiery preaching one Sunday, and then just give you some teaching the next and, and try to have, maintain some balance being we just get one service a week. I promise you, when we get our new building, we will go back to a Wednesday evening top service where we can have a Bible study because I think it's so important we come together in the middle of the week and just hear God's word. Amen? Uh, our situation where we are right now, we just can't do that. So I'm going to give you what I would normally do on a Wednesday evening here on Sunday morning. Is that okay? Are you, are you, will you be okay with that? I want you to understand there are seven different viewpoints on this particular passage of Scripture that a lot of different theologians, a lot of different preachers, a lot of different pastors, a lot of different churches, a lot of different denominations all ad- identify and align with. Now, I want you to understand from the outset, the first six that I give you, I do not believe in. The one I believe in is going to be the seventh one that I'm going to share with you. And I'll try to unpack that one a little bit more. But I want to educate you a little bit on what some other viewpoints are in this particular passage of Scripture. Here's one, for instance. One writer looks at this particular passage of Scripture, and we look at his view on what this Scripture is saying, and he's saying that those described, when I say those described, I'm talking about those that have fallen away. Those that were enlightened, those that uh, tasted the heavenly gift, those that were companions with the Holy Spirit, they tasted God's Word, the powers to come, and they fell away, or they abandoned the faith. One belief is that those described are professors of salvation, but not possessors of salvation. In other words, they're just giving mouth talk. They're just talking the talk, but they're not really walking the walk. They may have head knowledge, but they don't have heart knowledge. One professor or one individual even believes that, you know, they're just not genuinely saved. These are individuals that are just professing to be saved, but are not actually possessing the salvation of the Lord. Well, I don't have time to sit here and refute every single one of these views, but it is pretty obvious to me in verse number four. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews is including himself in this very same warning. And then in verse number four, he gives the distinctives about the individuals that are abandoning or falling away from the faith. And the Bible says that they were once enlightened, that they had tasted God's word. They had seen his miraculous powers and they had uh, received the, the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly gift. I mean, it's pretty evident that these are not just professors, that they are possessors. So I don't agree with that view. Another view that some believe or that those described are regenerated, but they are not the elect of God. Your extreme Calvinistic view would take this approach. That maybe these are regenerated and yes, they've, uh, they've kind of gotten into the whole church thing and they're getting into the word and their lives are being changed a little bit, but they are not the elect of God, therefore they are going to fall away. Well, I have a hard time. I don't believe any of Scripture backs up that philosophy and that mindset, but there are some that believe in that. I just want you to be aware of it. There is a third view that says those described are genuinely saved, but they've received a very serious warning about apostasy as a preventative measure. In other words, this is a, a, um, a hypothetical situation. It's something that possibly could, it it never really will happen, but it's a danger, maybe something you need to be aware of. It's a hypothetical situation. Well, you know, if you're going to say that's hypothetical, then what keeps you from going to other doctrines in the Bible and just saying, well, that's just hypothetically speaking. I think that's pretty poor hermeneutics myself in discerning what God's Word is teaching us. The fourth view that we see here that those described are saved people, but the writer is speaking about loss of rewards and not loss of salvation. In other words, he's not talking about you losing your soul and missing, missing heaven. He's talking about you losing rewards. Well, I don't see that anywhere in this particular passage of Scripture. Another viewpoint is that the sin of apostasy spoken here involves a special situation that could not be repeated today. Well, I don't agree with that view either, and I don't have time to refute all of that. The sixth view is this, 
Those described are saved people who were on the verge of apostasy, but even if they proceeded into apostasy, they could come back to God, not by their own will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that gets into the whole repeated regeneration type doctrine that is out there. We do not believe in repeated regeneration. You're not saved today and lost tomorrow and resaved again the next day and lost tomorrow and resaved again. There's no such, I don't think the Bible teaches anything about repeated regeneration. Now, notice what I did not do is share with you all the denominations out there that adhere to one of these six views that I have just shared with you. I'm not here to tear them down. I just want you to be familiar with some views that are out there. Well, what is the view that we believe in as free will Baptists? And I got to emphasize free will Baptists because all Baptists do not adhere to this particular doctrine. Matter of fact, this is a free will Baptist distinctive. This is a doctrine that separates us from some other Baptists. Now, we're all evangelical. We're all trying to see people saved. We're all trying to be involved in evangelism. And we're all preaching that, that the Word of God is God's Word. And it is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is the Holy Word of God. We do believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. We do believe in the bodily resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ. We do believe that He will return again for His church just as He went away as the Bible. Those are some fundamentals of the faith that we all collectively agree with. But there are some particular distinctives that separate us, and this would be one of those distinctives. Here's the view that we, I, in our denomination, our church even, adheres to. Those described are saved people who are seriously backslidden in their spiritual lives. And if they continue to the point of apostasy, they will be eternally lost, and they will have sinned against the Holy Spirit. Whoa, did that put up a red flag for you? Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, and question, what is the unpardonable sin? What is the sin that I cannot get forgiveness from or for? Have you ever had anybody ask you that? Do you know the answer to that? Don't speak. Do you know the answer to that? What is the answer to the unpardonable sin? What is the unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin is simply just rejecting the Holy Spirit because according to John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins, to draw us to God. By the way, you can't get saved just whenever you want to get saved. Hello? You can't just say, well, this sounds like a good day to get saved. I think I'll just chew my chewing gum and walk up there. Okay, I want to get saved today. No, there's got to be the power, the Holy Spirit working in your heart, convicting you of your sins. Now, people have different emotions when they're under conviction. So we can't get tied up in emotions. You know, I've heard one preacher say, boy, when you get saved, you'll come to the aisle, shut down the aisle shouting. You'll hit the altar. You'll be weeping and wailing in tears. You'll get up rejoicing and shouting all the way back. Well, that's just the way that that particular person may have emotional ties to what is happening in their life. So we can't get into emotion, but we do have to stick with what Scripture says about how it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us and woo us to the Lord Jesus Christ to where we get to a state to where we repent and we ask Christ to forgive us. And the unpardonable sin is when an unsaved person is presented with the gospel or the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to their heart and they willfully reject the Holy Spirit and willfully turn away from that and they will not accept Christ, they will not ask Christ to forgive them, forgive them of their sins and they willfully reject... That is the sin that there is no forgiveness for. If you reject the Holy Spirit of God, there is no other way you can get to heaven. If you reject the plan of salvation, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, if you reject Calvary, if you reject being born again, there is, friends, no other way. Can I get a witness right there? That is the only way. Now, I didn't say through a victory church or through a denomination. I'm talking about through Jesus. There's only one way to heaven. It's through him. And if you willfully reject that, that, friends, is the unpardonable sin. Never accepting, rejecting the Holy Spirit. But people have left that unpardonable sin possibly with unbelievers. May I just share with you 
that that can also take place according to Hebrews chapter 6, according to Hebrews chapter 3, according to John chapter 10, according to many other scripture references I can give you. If you want all these references, if you want the whole study that I've done on this, I'll be glad to email it to you. Just shoot me an email and I'll give you everything that I have on the doctrine of apostasy so that you can study it out. But do you realize that not only can unbelievers commit this, but I believe this verse implies, and this passage of scripture implies, implies that saved people can also reject the Holy Spirit. Those that are saved and those that Christ has moved into their heart through the person of the Holy Spirit, as He is leading us and guiding us, we can, because of our free will, we can reject the presence and the direction and the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, I want to ask you a question. Who are these, just to back up what I'm talking about, who are these individuals? I want you to look in verse number four. Look in your Bibles. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those, who's it talking about? Who is it impossible for to renew to repentance? Now, if we're renewing something, it means it was new at one time and we're having to, we're having to, Renew it. We have, who is it impossible for? Let's look at that real quickly. Matter of fact, I believe in verses 4 and 5, it gives us a distinct view of who the writer is talking about that can reject and ultimately abandon or fall away from the faith and ultimately miss heaven and spend an eternity in hell. I believe this particular passage deals with that. And I, I can't, I, I started not to even deal with this subject today. I started to kind of preach around it today. I thought, boy, this is this kind of tough on Sunday morning to come out and preach something like this. But I thought, you know what, God, this is what you've called me for. And if they don't hear it from me, who are they going to hear it from? So I don't know what happened as a result of sharing this message, but I've got to, in good faith, stand on what I believe the Bible is teaching. And I could not avoid this passage of Scripture. Look what he says about those. Who are those? Ask the question. Who are those that cannot be renewed to repentance? Look what it says in verse number four. Those who were once enlightened... What does that mean? That means to illuminate people's hearts and minds with the light of revealed truth. Those who were once enlightened, those who the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has spoken to their hearts they ha and God has revealed the truth of himself to them. They have been enlightened. They have been illuminated. They have revealed truth in their hearts and in their minds and in their lives. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 and 32, he says, remember the early days when after you had been enlightened? Remember the early days when after you had been enlightened? What's he talking about? He said, remember the day when you got saved? He said, remember the day when you were, when you were enlightened to the truth of God's word? When revealed truth was brought into your heart and into your mind and into your life, and now for the first time, boom, I see the truth of God's Word. There are many of you, as I look over this congregation, that could say, boy, that's me, because I was there the moment that revealed truth entered into your heart and into your life. I was there when I, when I saw you accept Christ, and, and you give your heart and your life to the Lord, and, and you have a whole new way of living now. That's what this particular passage is talking about. It's talking about being enlightened. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6, the writer Paul says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about how God has given us and illuminated our hearts and our minds with the light of revealed truth. We have, as believers, been what? Enlightened. Every single one of us, would you agree with that? We've been revealed, we've been exposed, and, and God has spoke truth into our hearts and to our lives. Not only are they enlightened, but also in verse number four, it says that they have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, first of all, let's define what is the heavenly gift. What is the heavenly gift? What is it that God gave on the cross? His son. 
He gave his son. It was the most precious gift that has ever been given. And it was a gift that came from heaven. It was the heavenly gift, God's son. The Bible says that we have tasted that. Now, you got to understand that doesn't mean literally. It's in the figurative sense. It simply means we have experienced the heavenly gift. We have experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 34 in verse number 8, figuratively he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Experience him and see that it is good. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 it says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might, here's the same Greek word again, taste. Jesus was made a little bit lower than the angels so that by God's grace, he might taste or experience death for everyone. Guys, that same verbiage is talking about us as believers. We have experienced the heavenly gift. We have experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third attribute, if you will, of those who cannot be renewed to repentance once they abandon the faith or fall away. It says in verse number three that those who were made companions with the Holy Spirit. Now to be companions with the Holy Spirit, that word companions, uh, uh, some other words that are synonymous with that are, are words like to share, to partner with, to be partaker of. We are companions. We have, we, have, we have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. We're companions with the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because the Bible teaches us that the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God takes up His abode in our heart and in our life. We are the tabernacle of God in the New Testament. We talk about the tabernacle offering. We talk about the church building that we want to build. May I remind you that God no longer just dwells in a building. His dwelling is in our bodies. We are now the New Testament tabernacle. Hello? Boy, there's a whole message you could preach on our bodies being the tabernacle of a holy God. We ought to take care of them. Hello? I'm not even going to go there. I've got to stay on task right here. Well, our bodies now are indwelt with the Holy We are companions with the Holy Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14 says, For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the beginning. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Here's the reference I was talking about just a moment ago. The scripture says, repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is. The moment that we repent, we ask Christ to do our heart and into our life, boom, at that moment, you don't need a second feeling. You, you don't need a second work of grace. At that moment, the moment you accept Christ as your, guys, I'm giving you a ton of doctrine today. Hello? You, listen, the moment that you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in your heart and in your soul and in your life. The question is, oh, I'm just praying for more of the Holy Spirit. No, honey, you got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. But here should be the prayer and here should be the question, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? There are possibly areas of our life that we've not turned over to the Lordship of Christ. There's possibly some areas in our life that we've not given the Holy Spirit of God reign to. You've got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. The question is, does he have all of, finish it, you. You. We are companions. And the, and the text is talking about individuals that were enlightened, individuals that tasted the heavenly gift, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, individuals that are companions with the Holy Spirit of God. And then fourthly, it says, those who have tasted, once again, it's the same Greek word that we've already dealt with, those who have experienced God's Word. Now, that's in the Greek rhema. What does rhema mean? It means the utterance of God. It means the spoken word of God. And friends, may I remind you that in our covers of our Bibles, we have the word of God. This is our rhema. You see, when Jesus was alive, he was the living word of God. 
Matter of fact, in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word with, was, was God, and the Word was with God. Or with God, and the Word was God. And then in John chapter 1, in verse number 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, may I remind you that when Jesus was walking on the earth, He was and is the living Son of God. The living Word of God walking among those in that day. But he realized that this thing would grow and he, could, he just couldn't walk among everybody in the sense that he was walking among them. So he gave us now the written, living word of God. The Bible is, the Bible is talking about here, it says, when you have tasted God's good word. God's good word, it's the Greek word rhema. You have tasted rhema. You have tasted the word of God. You have experienced the word of God. You've been in, guys, listen, we need to get in here and taste it every single day. And by taste it, I'm using it figuratively. We need to experience this, this word. This is the written, living word of God. Guys, the Bible's that I hold in my hands and one of you hold in your lap. Some people say, oh, that's just an old archaic book. It really has no relevance in, our, re relevance in our day. Guys, may I remind you that the Bible that you hold today is the living word of God. I've already said it's inspired, it's, in, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it will last forever. Matter of fact, Scripture says that prophecy will not be fulfilled until every jot and tittle of God's word has been fulfilled. Listen, God's timetable is right here in this book. And it's as up-to-date as tomorrow morning's newspaper. The problem is we're not experiencing it. The problem is we're not spending time in it. The problem is we're not reading it. The problem is if we do read it, we're not applying it. That's a whole other message. I, don't, I promise you I don't have time to go there and preach that either. But this is the rhema. This is the word of God that we have experienced also, these individuals, that it's impossible for them to be renewed. Not only have they experienced or tasted the Word of God, but they've also experienced the powers of the coming age. What does that mean? The powers, it's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. Boom! It's powerful, honey. What's he talking about? The powers of the coming age. What's he talking about there? He's saying you've experienced the miraculous works of a holy God in your life. You've experienced the miracles of God. And by the way, you may be sitting here and asking yourself and asking me, preacher, when did I ever experience a miracle? Let me tell you, day one you experienced a miracle when you were born. Literally. The day you were born. That is a miracle. How life begins and the conception of life and, and the birth of life and, and, a, and a baby, it's a miracle. Just look around. There's miracles every single day. But if you are a believer, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've got at least one more miracle, and that's the day that you got saved. That's the day when you changed paths. That's the day when the Holy Spirit of God fingered around in your heart. He convicted you. You realized that, hey, I am an apart and undone. I need a Savior. And you realize that Jesus was your Lord and your Savior and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and move into your heart. Boom! A miraculous thing just took place in your life. You've experienced that. In Hebrews chapter number 6, these individuals that the Bible says that it is impossible to renew them to repentance, not only did they experience the heavenly gift, not only were they enlightened, not only they were companions with the Holy Spirit, not only did they experience God's good word and the powers to come, but then it says... In verse number five, that they had fallen away. I've already shared the word that you need to put along there with that to give you a better understanding is abandoned. This is a willful rejection and abandonment of the fundamentals of the faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, I'll get there in just a moment, but this is talking about those who depart from the living God. Guys, all these characteristics that I've just mentioned to you are the individuals that the Bible says that these individuals, now I'm just giving you what the Bible says. See, I got it underlined. I even have it highlighted. And I've got other things written all around it. But it says that these are the individuals that it is impossible to renew them to repentance. Now what I just shared with you are the characteristics of a child of God, a believer. 
No other way you can explain that except that these individuals were believers. If you do try to explain it some other way, then here's what you're doing. You're explaining it away. And if you're going to explain that particular passage away, what's going to keep you from explaining other passages of Scripture away? Let's just take it at face value. Guys, that is what it teaches. That is God's Word. Now, let me give you a few things here real quickly, and I know I need to wrap this thing up. But we're talking about being faithful. Now, here is, and you may come to the place in your life where you're ready to give up, where you're maybe confused or maybe cold and indifferent or, or you just don't know what to do, and maybe you're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe you're ready to give up. Maybe when you hear this, you leave here scared. Listen, my intent is not for you to leave here scared. My intent for you is to leave here knowing what the doctrine of apostasy is all about. And my intent for you is to draw closer to the Lord and grow in your, in your faith with God. And if you do that, you don't have to ever worry about this. But I want you to know that that doctrine is there. Now, it's not proclaimed. Listen, you won't hear a TV evangelist preaching this. You won't hear him preaching it on the radio. Why? Because it sure doesn't draw a crowd. People don't get real excited hearing about the doctrine of apostasy. But I'm not a traveling evangelist just coming through and giving you five of my best messages. I've had, I had a church member one time. I brought in an evangelist one time. And man, he lit it up. Well, what he did, he had five or six good sermons. He traveled the country and preached five or six good sermons. And I mean, hey, he lit it up. And people laughed. They said, why can't you preach like that? I said, well, you want to hear the same five? I got five or six. When I go in revivals, I can light it up. But you want to hear those same five or six every week? No, it's my job as a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. My job as a pastor is to nurture you and grow you so that you will be rock solid in your faith so that when the trials come and temptations come and the winds of false doctrine wave, you will be secure in what you believe in. That's my role. Therefore, we got to stop and just go through the luggage sometime and unpack the thing and slow down and see what the Scripture is saying. And besides all of that, i got to stand before God one day and i got to give an account on how I have instructed you. So therefore, I want, to, I want to do it his way. Hello? So I, but I, want, I don't want you to leave here afraid. Here's three things I want you to jot down. I want you to write this. And you may think this first statement is going to be contrary to what I've just said. It isn't. The first thing I want you to jot down is this. You cannot lose your salvation. I want you to get a hold of that. You cannot lose when people come up to say, they say, do you believe you can lose your salvation? I immediately say, no. I'm not going to lose it. Listen, I lay my head on my pillow now, and I don't lay there. I heard, I heard one preacher talking down to Arminians. By the way, that's the doctrine. That, that's when uh, Joseph Arminius and John Calvin, years ago, they separated. And the Arminians believe in the doctrine of apostasy. The Calvinists do not. And that's where the split goes. It goes way back. But someone came up to me one time, a preacher did, and he said, oh, you're one of those Armenians, aren't you? He said, I bet you go to sleep every night biting your fingernails just wondering if you'll wake up in heaven. I said, that's not me. I've lost no sleep at night wondering if I die in my sleep while I go to heaven. I'm as secure in Jesus as anybody else can be. I have trusted in him as my Savior. I know that all is well with my soul. Matter of fact, when I do kick the bucket, don't weep and well and cry over me. I want you to rejoice. I want you to have a party. Matter of fact, I want you to, I want you to have a revival. I, I want there to be great singing. I want there to be great preaching. I want, there to, I'm, I want it to be a good time. I'm in heaven. I'm with the Lord. It's okay. And if you just get right with God, you can meet me there. And we'll all have a great reunion day. It'll be okay. Don't weep and mourn and cry and all that. Some people, what makes you think we're going to do that anyway? I don't know. Just, just thought maybe you would, Okay. <laughs> Listen, everything's well with me. But I do believe, and I want you to leave here being rock solid in your faith, and I don't want you to leave here living in fear that, oh, I may lose it today. Listen, you cannot lose your salvation. You don't wake up one morning and realize that God is gone. You don't turn around and, and, and just lose, like you lose your car keys and whoop, my salvation. There's some of you here in this congregation right now, and I'm not going to point fingers or call out names. But there's some of you, as long as I've ever known you, you've, you've misplaced your car keys. And there's some of you that just frantically, where did I lay them? Listen, losing, you don't lose your salvation like you lose your car keys. How many of you ever lost some car keys? Most of us have. Some do it more than others, but most of us have lost car keys. 
You don't lose your salvation like losing your car, car keys. It just doesn't happen that way. You don't lose your salvation because you do something wrong. You don't have to go to bed at night wondering, boy, this thing that I did wrong, I wonder if that'll keep me out of heaven. Oh, I, just in case I better pray, God forgive me because I don't want to miss heaven. You don't lose your salvation like that. Hello? Simply because you do something wrong, God is not going to throw you away. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 7. It says, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Listen, there's a God out there that loves you and he's not going to throw you away simply because you do one thing wrong. I had a Sunday school teacher years ago. I sat in his Sunday school class one particular Sunday, just visiting, sitting in. And I heard him teach that, boy, your life is in the sight of God is like wearing a white sheet. And if there's one little speck of black dot on that sheet, you'll miss heaven. And I'm thinking, for heaven's sakes, I cannot believe he just taught that. So I had to pull him aside afterwards, and we got into a huge debate. And finally, I had to tell him, listen, that is not what the Bible says. But he was one of those that believed in repeated regeneration, that you're saved today, lost tomorrow, saved today. Matter of fact, he'd give the testimony that he'd been saved about four or five times. That's ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous. God's not going to throw you away simply because you did something wrong. And I want you to understand also, God is not against us. He is for us. He is not against us. He is for us. I'm talking about how you cannot lose your salvation. I read the story about a young four-year-old girl by the name of Cecilia. You may remember, you may not, but back in 1987, on August the 16th, on a Sunday, Northwest Airlines flight number 225 crashed. The records say that there were 156 people on board that plane. 155 of them were killed when it crashed into a freeway. The only survivor was a little four-year-old girl named Cecilia. Matter of fact, when all the emergency responders got to this crash scene, they, they looked around and, and there was this little four-year-old girl that they knew could not have been on that plane. And they thought Cecilia was a child that was in a car that the plane had hit. So they went back and they pulled the passenger record of all everybody, everybody that was on flight, that flight. And they looked and there was Cecilia's name. They started questioning Cecilia what happened, what took place. And the best she could, as a little four-year-old girl, she described what took place on that plane. She talked about how it was real rocky and it was real bumpy and flames were coming out the wings. And they said, how did you survive? She said, as we were going down, she said, my mother was in the seat beside me. And my mom unbuckled her seatbelt. And she got down on her knees in front of me and she covered me with her body. And she held on to me as tight as she could hold on. And I crawled out from under her once this plane crashed and I survived. Guys, may I remind you something? That there is nothing in this world that will replace the love that a mother has for her child. And that mother gave her life so that her four-year-old daughter could live. And she lived. Guys, I want you to understand, that's a picture of our God. That's what He does for us. He loves us. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, in verse number 38, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God. Guys, I've got good news for you today. God loves you. And I've even got greater news than that. He always will. There's not one thing that you will ever do that God will say, I'm going to throw you away. He loves you. He loves you. And you don't lose your salvation like losing your car keys. You don't lose your salvation and wake up one morning and say, it's gone, I lost it. No, it is a willful act of rejecting Christ. 
abandoning. That's what the falling away means, abandoning the faith. Second thing I want you to jot down is you can ultimately reject your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can ultimately reject your salvation. And that's what Hebrews 6, 6 is talking about when it says those who have fallen away, they abandoned, they rejected their salvation. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. It says, watch out, brothers, so that there won't be any of you or be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Verse 14. For if we have become companions of the Messiah, if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had from the start. I want you to understand that you can reject. You can depart from the living God. You won't just simply lose it, but you can reject it. And what's the reason for that? It's our own free will. And I want you to note in the scripture, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. It is not that God is unable to forgive. It's not that God is unable to heal them. It's that they are no longer able to repent. Guys, I want you to understand that once you commit apostasy, you will no longer ever have a desire to be renewed to the things of God. You'll never be able to repent. Not because God can't forgive you, but because you will never ask for it. There is a line out there. And I don't believe it takes place over a 24-hour period of time or day or week or a month or even. I think it takes place possibly over a lifetime. I don't know exactly. But I do know it is a willful act of rejecting. These individuals, they had turned off their conscience long enough that they no longer felt guilt. The Bible plainly teaches about how our conscience can be seared with a hot iron. That we will no longer feel the guilt of sin. They can no longer feel sorry for their sin. They're enjoying it too much. Their ears have become dull to the voice of God. Their eyes have become blind to His goodness and His mercy. Their hearts became so callous that they no longer could respond to the love of God. It was their conscience and their deliberate choice where they abandoned the faith of God. Third thing I want you to jot down is you must persevere. And I'm going to try to wrap it up with this one. You must persevere and grow in your faith. Listen, this is a strong warning for those of you that don't read your Bible, for those of you that don't have daily quiet time for God, with God, for those of you that don't take seriously the things of God, this is a strong, strong warning. You can get to the place where sin no longer has an effect on you. You can get to the place where your conscience is seared and you're no longer sensitive to the things of God. I want you to understand, you must persevere. In other words, you must grow in your faith. That's the important key to the entire book of Hebrews, is that we take responsibility for our spiritual life. Guys, I think about the babies in this church, the toddlers running around in the nursery. How sad it would be if physically these children never grew. By the way, you may have seen on the news this week, there's going to be a special tonight on TLC. How many's ever heard of Brooke Greenberg? 16-year-old girl. She lives in Reistertown, Maryland. She was on Fox News this past week. They're doing a TLC special on her tonight. She's 16 years old, but physically, she looks like she's 16 months old. They take her around in a stroller and they take care of her just like a baby. Matter of fact, the media and the news is calling this the eternal baby. Now, possibly there's something in her life that they could tap into to help us live eternally in the physical realm. Now, it's a true story about this child, and the parents can't help us the way she is. There's going to be a special tonight on TLC about little Brooke, cute little girl. If you go on YouTube, you can find all kinds of videos about her. After I saw it on Fox News, I started doing some research. There's all kinds of information out there about this little girl. But something is wrong. When a child at 16 years old and her younger sister, about 13 years old, pushing her in a stroller through the mall going shopping, and she's about the age of 16 months, something is wrong. Would you not agree? Something is wrong. How tragically the same thing takes place in the spiritual realm, and we don't think a thing of it. 
We look at someone that's been a Christian, been saved for many years, but they're not growing spiritually. And we think, well, at least they're hanging in there. No, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong if you're not growing in your faith. Something is wrong if you don't have more Bible knowledge today than you did yesterday. Something is wrong if you're not closer to the Lord today than you were yesterday. Friends, something is wrong if you're not growing spiritually. Amen? Something is wrong. And it could be a variety of things. But we need to understand that we need to be growing in our faith. Let me close with one final passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 5, look if you will in verse 11. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain. Why is it difficult to explain, I would ask the writer of Hebrews. He would answer, because you have become slow to understand. He said, there's a lot of things I'd like to share with you, but you're slow to understanding. What's he talking about? You're not growing. I'd like to share more with you, but I can't because you're not growing. I'd like to share more with you about doctrine, but I can't because you're not growing. I got more things I want to share, but I can't because you've become slow to understand. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, now you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. And not everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with a message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You see, the writer of Hebrews was reprimanding somewhat these Christians, and, these Christians of Hebrew. And he was saying, listen, he said, you should be teachers. But you're having to sit in a class and let us teach you again all the elementary teachings of the doctrine of God. You've been saved long enough that you should be teaching, but you're sitting there still, not grasping, not understanding, not growing in your faith. And I wonder, could that be some of us? The warning, strong warning, for just sucking on the bottle spiritually all your life, the strong warning, it leads right into chapter 6. One thing you've got to understand, the chapter and verse is not inspired of God. Man put that in there to help us find our way around. And this is one letter, continuous letter, that was written. And he went straight from talking about how you are not growing in your faith to the doctrine of apostasy. Now, let me settle it right here. You may be asking, have I committed apostasy? Just the fact that you even question it is, is the sign that you haven't. Amen? You may be thinking, how's my life with God? If you're thinking anything like that, you've not committed apostasy. Because once you commit it, your heart be hardened and callous to the things of God, and you will never, ever be restored because you have no desire for it. But I wonder, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you a Christian? Have you realized that, boy, in my life, I need to accept Christ? And then I'd like to ask you a question. Are you growing in your faith? If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, are you growing? Are you spending daily time with God? Are you growing in your faith? And if not, I pray that today will be the day when we would, like these teenagers who went to camp, that we would recommit our life to Christ. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And I feel like I need to apologize for being a little bit long today, but boy, this is so much stuff that you need. I wonder, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? If, if you haven't, right now in the stillness of this moment, will you just pray a simple prayer like this? Just say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that you died for my sins on the cross. And I believe that you were buried and that you rose again the third day and that you are God's Son. And right now, I'd just like to give my life back to you. And I'd like for you to come into my heart and into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior and forgive me of my sins. I want to begin a relationship with you today. Save me. Take me to heaven when I leave this earth. I pray this in the name of Jesus. I wonder as every head is still bowed and every eye still remain closed.
If you prayed that prayer of salvation today, will you please indicate that on your connection card and your bulletin? And we're going to take those up in just a moment. But let me speak to the Christians here in just, just for a second. How is your walk with God? Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? Are you growing spiritually? Are you taking seriously your devotion time and your Bible study time? Are you taking seriously the things of God? Are you looking to Him for leadership and guidance and direction in your life? If not, guys, maybe today is the day that you need to renew that commitment. That you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Why don't today you just give your life back to Him and ask Him to forgive you? Let me help you pray. Pray something like this. Say, God, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. But I've been lazy in my spiritual life. And I haven't taken seriously the study of your word. And I'm still an infant. I'm still on the milk. And today I'm going to make a commitment to you that I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow in your grace and in your knowledge and in the word. And I'm going to spend time in your word every day. God, forgive me for not doing that. And give me the strength to do that from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray.